Hey all, Bina007 here with two movie reviews from today at the BFI London Film Festival, both concerned with telling stories from the female perspective. The first is called Their Finest, and the second is called Brimstone. So the first movie is a lovely romantic comedy from the director Lona Scherfig, who directed An Education most famously. It's set in Britain in World War II, but it's very early on in the war, so it's before America has joined. And it stars Gemma Arterton as a young married woman secretary who gets herself a job in the Ministry of Information, who are in charge not just with making explicit propaganda films, but also financing big feature films. And the idea is that these feature films should be, to quote, authentic and optimistic. So she starts working on a production that's meant to retell the story of Dunkirk, but rather than it be a tale of ignominious British defeat and retreat, it's actually going to focus on two sisters who apparently sails their tugboat over the channel to rescue British soldiers. So we see this girl, Katrin Cole, write her script, and she's assisted in this by uh, Sam Claflin, who you'll know from The Hunger Games, who plays effectively the guy who's going to become her love interest. Because although she's married, she's married to an artist, played by Jack Houston, who doesn't really approve of her going out to work. He obviously resents the fact that she's becoming the breadwinner. And of course, she has much more in common with her fellow screenwriter, who slowly and grudgingly starts to respect her ideas and, and actually just respect the idea more broadly that maybe the female characters in the film might actually have some kind of action and some sort of heroism and role. But things never run smoothly in the field of film production, and as the Ministry of Information realises how valuable this film could be as a way of selling the US average cinema-goer on the idea they should come into the war and support Britain, the interference starts to build. So suddenly, even though they're just very close to having a shooting script, they have to get an American star. And of course, this American star is actually a US Air Force pilot who cannot act for Toffee. And they need to rewrite the ending because American audiences want a more um, positive declaration of love rather than the classic English reticence. And of course, writing the love scenes for the movie has a nice meta text for writing the love scenes for their own lives for the main characters. The reason why this film works is, I mean, number one, it is very handsomely made, the costumes, the period details, I love all that. But really, it works because the comedy is just fantastic. Bill Nighy stars as this ageing actor who's very pompous and vain and doesn't really want to do the film because he's too old to play the lead character and has to play sort of alcoholic, shambolic Uncle Jack but eventually does. He's very funny and has some brilliant one-liners, including there's a line when Helen McCrory, who plays his agent, walks into a restaurant where he utters the word semolina. I mean, I can't tell you how funny just this one word is in Bill Nighy's hands. But let's not overlook the other people who are very funny too. We've got Rachel Sterling, who plays a gay movie producer. I think she's kind of like from the Ministry of Information. And she has some hilariously absurdic lines, usually at the expense of the menfolk of the film. And we also have Jack Lacey from Girls, who plays the US Air Force pilot, who gets a lot of the sort of, the physical sort of dumbass comedy in this film. But there's something really talented about being able to act well bad acting, if you get my meaning. 
And then we even have some quite funny sort of one-liners and cameos from people like Richard E. Grant and Jeremy Irons. There's this hilarious Ministry of War guy who just gives this sort of pompous Shakespearean rendering of his speech. He's literally in this film for one scene, but it's very funny. So I laughed a lot at Their Finest. Actually, I think I probably laughed more at this than at Mindhorn, and I laughed a lot at Mindhorn. I think this may well be one of the funniest films in the festival. The most straightforwardly funny, Manchester by the Sea, was actually really funny too, but very sad and bleak. Which brings me to the point of why I think this is a sort of better film than just the comedy. It's, it's that it doesn't shy away from some of the dark edging, the dark backing to the mirror of being in wartime Britain. I mean, you know, main characters, friends die. I mean, this is, this is Britain in the Blitz. And there's also no shying away from the fact that London at that point is a multicultural city, that there are people living there from Central Europe who are hearing the early rumblings of bad things happening in Poland and, and people are having their sons killed in action. I mean, this is a wartime movie and I think it's, it's funny, but it doesn't shy away from that. So for a mainstream film, I think that's kind of admirable. Um, that's not to say that the plot is anything other than basically quite predictable. This is basically a mainstream cloud pleaser, but I think a superior one and, and a good British film at that. So Their Finest is well worth watching. It has a running time of two hours and does not yet have a commercial release date, although I'm sure it will be picked up for release. And do check back at the full movie review site, bina007.com, for the full release details, which will be updated as we have them. All of which brings me on to the second film of the day, which was Brimstone by Dutch director Martin Koolhoven. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Now, this is a very bizarre, weird, odd film. It's set in the American Midwest in the mid-1800s, and it stars Dakota Fanning as a housewife and mother. She's mute when we meet her in the first chapter of four in this film. And she's a midwife in a small town. And as the movie opens, we see her forced to make a choice of whether to save a baby or a mother as, as the birth goes wrong. And there's a new preacher in town played by Guy Pierce, And he seems to take a disproportionate offence to her choice. And as this first chapter unravels, we think... I don't know, I was still thinking at this point that this was going to be a really taut thriller, a really interesting Western that sort of subverted the genre and, and had the woman as the, the agent of vengeance. But, um, yeah, it, the kind of the first chapter ends with this act of violence that's depicted quite graphically and it's just quite absurd and it really took me out of the film it was a real jump the shark moment and actually a couple of people walked out the cinema at that point but at this point I was like okay I'm going to stick with it because Dakota Fanning's acting is really good and Guy Pearce he's doing something really interesting with his role let's wait and see what happens the landscape photography is stunning the kind of the visual look of the film's great and, you know, the second chapter of this film felt like a reset. It opened in sunshine. There's a young girl, runaway, obviously, being picked up by these Chinese travellers. And as it turns out, sold into a brothel. And, uh, well, it's kind of, I guess, pretty obvious what's going to happen next. And at the end of this chapter is when I really thought, OK, now the, the, the violence has become absurd. And the sexual violence against women is becoming... I mean, I know, what the, I know what the director thinks he's doing. He thinks he's, he's making this really progressive film that's putting the woman front and centre and allowing her to be an agent, not only of being a victim of violence, but also an agent of revenge. But he's shot the violence in such a way as to be fairly exploitative. And I think that 
The interesting contrast here would be with films by Park Chan-wook, the South Korean director, who somehow manages to make these films which depict sexual violence against women which, without being exploitative. I'm not sure what the mechanics are of getting that right, other than maybe just having good judgment. And maybe you can't teach that or you can't sort of edit for that. But the real problems of this film, of Brimstone, occur when you get into the second, the, sorry, the final two chapters, um, which are just, oh, they really do go overboard. I mean, there, there's a way in which the camera focuses on the brutality and torture of women that just lingers a little bit too long, that just focus on, focuses on it in just the wrong way that makes you feel really uncomfortable. And I'm sure the director wants to make us feel uncomfortable, but I don't think he's succeeding in making us feel uncomfortable in the right way. So that by the time you get into the fourth part of this film and it, and it winds to its close, it's just you're, you're waiting for blessed relief. And my overriding feeling on leaving this film was what a waste, because I think... You know, Guy Pearce is 100% committed to the role as the radical, dogmatic, sadistic preacher. He has committed 100%. I mean, you know, this is... I think um, one of the reviews I read mentioned or cited Robert Mitchum in The Night of the Hunter, and it's not a bad reference. He's trying to do something very extreme and very forbidding and, God, in the hands of a better director with, with better taste or with Tarantino's kind of quality and ability to push things to be provocative but not offensive, this could have been a, an absolutely standout performance for Guy Pearce, but it's just undercut by the, the context of the movie. And similarly for Dakota Fanning, I think she's done incredibly well in this film, but she's not served by the director. I think, sadly, this is one of the rare, rare examples where the faults of a film really do lie with one man, and that man is the director, because it's his judgment at the end of the day, his vision of what he wants to be in the camera and the perspective that he wants to take. So sadly, I think um, it's, it's a, you know, Brimstone's probably the first properly bad film of the London Film Festival that I've seen, which is a tremendous shame, not just because of those two central performances that are very good, but, you know, as someone who's a bit of a Song of Ice and Fire fan, I'm sure there'll be a lot of Game of Thrones fans out there who see Kit Harrington and Carice Van Houten in the cast list and think they want to see this movie. Well, frankly, Kit Harrington's not in it for long, and he has one um, part of the film where people were genuinely laughing in the cinema at what should have been his grand entrance. And Carice Van Houten, poor thing, is really the victim of very exploitative filming. So probably one to avoid, boys and girls. Brimstone, it's got a an seemingly unending running time of 148 minutes. It does not yet have a commercial release date. And I'm really curious to see who picks it up and also whether the film gets edited before it's given a commercial release, which I think, frankly, would be wise. It really would be wise. Interesting date at the festival. Their finest actually surpassed my expectations by some margin. Really funny really gorgeous and really smart, um, if a bit obvious. And then Brimstone, which was just oh, very sadly disappointing, given the quality of the photography, some of the acting and the premise. But it's Friday night, which means that there's new movies out at the cinema, not in the London Film Festival. And I will try and cover some of those next week. But whatever you watch at the cinema this weekend, I hope you have fun. And thank you for listening.